like to speak now about uh, one of the most obvious conceptual tools. Now, in a previous dictation on conception, uh, we sort of framed everything. Um, we saw how, you know, what, how concepts invade or have invaded us and um, keep, keep, keep us occupied. Um, but one of the most obvious tools of, of conception, one of the most obvious systems, in fact, conception itself comes from language. Um, language is, again, simply the most obvious code. It is the thing that concepts work off of. Um, it's a very easy target. It's extremely penetrable, so far as a philosophical war is concerned. Um, as a matter of fact, it might be the absolute easiest target out there. I have to check the rating, but um, if it's not the easiest, it is certainly one of them because its entire nature is so exposed. Um, oftentimes when we're talking about concepts, uh, we are speaking about um, something that's a little bit more abstract. But with language, what we have is uh, the opposite of that. Um, well, not quite its opposite. It's somewhere in between um, something abstract and concrete. Um, that's really what language is. It's uh, attempts to, again, build a bridge, just like all concepts do, uh, between where we are and where we're trying to go. And uh, uh, you know, language is communication, and the the, communi the the bridge of communication um, brings two entities closer together. When you have perfect communication, you have uh, a, a very good relationship, plain and simple. Um, and but but again, language is quasi-exposed. It is something that, um, again, is is you know kind of straddles that very fine line between something that is abstract and something that is concrete, um, because it itself is an abstraction. Um, I am speaking about a tree. I am speaking about the street. Those words are not the thing itself, of course. Um, but they represent the thing in this abstract way, right? In this mental way. So you see here how uh, language um, is sort of uh, the midwife of conception um, because it takes something oftentimes tangible if it's related or if it's talking about or uh, in relation to um, something that is concrete and, and tangible um, like a tree or a street 
and it by saying the word tree street builds a mental picture um, within the mind of uh, the speaker uh, and the listener um, it builds an abstract picture a conceptual picture um, in communication it's it's communication is abstract and totally conceptualized uh, this is you know again beneficial in a variety of different ways uh, and in another uh, other ways it is completely detrimental um, to our production uh, to communication itself to a relationship because ultimately everything we are going towards here in life and this is sort of a side note but ultimately um, the goal is relationship uh, the goal is to have um, some sort of communication <laughs> between uh, you and the entity the individual and reality and you do that through through communication but that doesn't necessarily mean language. Language is only one very specific type of communication. And uh, entities uh, all have different kinds of language um, that we wouldn't necessarily coin or term uh, or think of as language in the way that we use it. Um, but certainly, you know, uh, genes have certain ways they communicate uh, with one another um, cells uh, uh, molecules you know uh, system pl planetary systems I mean every everything has a certain way that um, it interacts in a certain uh, uh, language but none quite so abstract as ours again our our language is an abstraction it is a form of it is the, the that midwife of conception um, because of the way in that which it operates um, or the way that we give it life to operate um, so we talk about something concrete like a tree or a street um, and again we can kind of we can definitely understand what what that is um, and we can speak about it in a, you know, particular way, and, um, it becomes, um, it, it has a sort of reality, um, or at least we can easily identify it to its reality. I say the word tree, I say something even more, more specific, like, you know, oak tree, um, well, that that is a very specific type of tree, a very specific type of being, um, uh, and uh, you know, I have an idea of what an oak tree is. You have an idea of what an oak tree is, um, and even though it's roughly the same idea, even but <laughs> even though there is. You know, and that idea of what an oak tree is that is similar between two people, you know, maybe, uh, you know, 
their experience, their particular experience with an oak tree is different. Uh, you know, one person's experience with an oak tree is different than another's, you know. Um, so, again, this sort of wedge is driven where um, there's meant to be a bridge. And this happens all the time when we speak. Um, how often do we say to one another, you know, I, I don't understand what it is that you're saying. Um, and maybe just as often, uh, if not ten times more often, we don't say, we, we, we keep silent um, thinking that we un have understood what is being said to us when in reality we've misinterpreted it entirely. So the language difficulties that exist uh, can be rather large and rather difficult um, if we don't see uh, you know these very basic sort of um, imperfections about language again even when we speak about concrete things we've as soon as we speak about them we've drawn them into abstraction now this gets all the more difficult uh, when we speak about as I am right now abstract ideas so when we speak about things that don't necessarily have uh, any existence in consciousness or in uh, in reality when we speak about things that don't necessarily have uh, a outside reality that that we can physically in phenomenology relate to that we can point to and say that is what I'm talking about you know that's the oak tree right there um, with abstract ideas things become difficult and we really begin to confuse ourselves um, because it, when we abstract again when we're speaking we're already abstracting so when we are speaking about something non-physical because see physical nature levels the playing field right uh, in in nature we have something that we have a more or less common experience with um, we feel you know the sun and whether you live in Antarctica or in a rainforest you you get the sun on your face you understand something about its being you know a body a warm body um, and uh, you know you can you have a physical there's a 
objective sort of playing field there. Now, of course, non-objectivity is going to say that um, our subjectivity interacts with that objectivity in different ways, and that is true. However, uh, there is something that we can at least go to that has an existence outside uh, and independent of our own subjectivity. Um, that we all sort of have, you know, this commonality with. Um, but with abstracted language, <laughs> um, that is with ideas, with language that speaks about ideas and speaks about um, something that is also abstract in its nature, it's very difficult um, often to communicate what it is that you're trying to say. Now, um, I think we could probably safely, although I, I'm not sure, I've never really explored whether or not we can trace all language back to something phenomenological. Um, my instinct tells me that we can, but we can explore it here. Um, you know, when we're talking about feelings, so maybe what I'm saying about abstracted ideas um, are abstractions because we don't speak about them clearly, because because we are not clearly understanding what it is that we're experiencing or trying to trying to communicate. Um, but that's again something that we can explore, and I think that exploration would go something like if we attempted, uh, you know, if we attempted to speak about our feelings, um, or if we attempted to communicate verbally, um, orally about, uh, you know, the way I, that we feel for another person, then, um, then we take something within us, something that's not concrete, um, like a tree or, you know, a flower or anything like that. So we take something that is within us, um, that we have kind of shaped and molded, um, and we attempt to speak about it. We attempt to communicate that feeling. So that's still something that happens phenomenologically. Now, ideas are gained from, um, mostly are gained from, I think, uh, our experience about things. So, um, you know, we have an idea about the way something works, um, or we have a philosophical notion about um, anything, uh, but it always pretty much relates back to something that happens or that has happened to us, all to some phenomenological 
happening. Um, and this is why phenomenology is so deeply entrenched, so heavily fortified uh, philosophically. Um, and it's, it's difficult to see beyond it. Um, and it also perfectly exemplifies why language is so easily cut down. Um, because we can have, we have different experience, we, we talk about things via the way we experience them often. Um, or the way we think about them, which, which, you know, is one and the same thing. It's all a matter of consciousness, but that's not the, I don't want to get off topic here, but the way we think and the way we experience things, um, it's, it's, it's a unified action. So, um, uh, what, however, we, we experience, what we try to uh, communicate as an idea is always go get always can be led back to what what we experience what our feelings are but the problem is that our feelings often are incorrect or our interpretations are incorrect because we're subjects we're subjects and we, we live in this subjective sort of, of world so um, so, if we start from a place where where we don't understand what is going on, then yes, the language that we uh, utilize to you know uh, bridge those gaps between um, ourselves and the person or entity we're trying to communicate to. Um, we are we're kind of starting off behind the eight ball, you know. If we don't if if we're not understanding the gravity and the reality of what it is that we um, have really experienced, then there's no way to accurately communicate um, that through language. Um, and language is just so limited on so many different levels. It's it's why. Uh, music and art have, or, you know, painting and sculpting and all that, has usurped uh, poetry, you know, more or less, and, and, and novels. It's, it's, why the, it's why the movie is more popular than the novel. It's why music has, has outgrown uh, poetry. It's because with other art forms, there's, there's something else there. Um, there's something that's uh, not confound to the limits of language. There, you know, there's something that extracts a feeling within you um, that, is, that is so limited when we use language. Um, because reality is beyond language. That's just the point is what is what is reality what is actuality what is truth is beyond what we are able to say about it you know the first chapter of the Tao Te Ching says that the true Tao uh, cannot be spoken about and that is 
<laughs> Absolutely true. Um, the true anything cannot be spoken about. You can't speak truly about the oak tree, or, or even if it's a specific oak tree, something that has a specific actual being um, that you and the communicator, or the person you're trying to communicate, are intimately aware of. I could tell, I could say to my brother, you know, uh, the oak tree, you know, in our parents' yard in the house that we grew up in, and he would know exactly which particular tree I was talking about, but then again, from his room, he had a different view of it uh, than I did, and he might know something about it that I don't, and so, even though we say, you know, we talk about the oak tree, we, we have a different experience of it, and we have, uh, therefore, a different image of it, and we have, and, and none of those things match up to the reality of it, <laughs> because the reality is something on its own. It's something separate and apart from uh, whatever it is, no matter how beautifully or poetically or accurately, uh, where I, I could tell you exactly, you know, uh, all the precise, you know, angles and shapes, dimensions of the branches and the trunk and the leaves, how they looked in certain times of the year, but all of that pales in comparison for several reasons. First is the, the person that I'm communicating to. I could paint the perfect picture of it, and yet the person who I'm communicating it to will still be in the dark about its actuality um, because language is not the thing. You know, No matter how perfect or precise it is, it's, it's, it's not the thing. So... It's not the reality itself, and the second reason is, is is within the first is that it is not the reality. There's there's more to the reality than language um, can say. Just just like you know, I remember the first time I went to the Grand Canyon, I'd seen pictures of it. I'd looked, you know, I I, I wanted, you know, I always seen you know photographs of it or, or heard people talk about it or whatever. But it's a totally different experience when you lay eyes on it for yourself uh, because it's the interaction see it's the, it's always the interaction it's always the relationship between the the thing the self and the thing and and they're because they're not different just like um, just like uh, uh, the, the thought and the experience it's not different you know it's it's the same it's the the observer and the observed are the, the same thing. It's the same experience. And it takes the two to have an experience, you see. So, anyways. Um, language is simply limited. It's, it's limited in so, from every angle. Again, even when it's perfectly done, it's still limited because because of either the inability of uh, the person who you are communicating it to, to to grasp its reality fully, the reality of what you're talking about fully. Um, and, I mean, just the simple fact that, you know, it is not the reality. Whatever it is that you're talking about is, is just not the reality. And it, we, can, we can just never get past that point. So even... If you can describe 
an experience perfectly. You know, somebody can describe to me what it's like to, to I don't know, go skydiving. Uh, I hope to never have the experience. <laughs> so, you know, it 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 depends on the perception of the person because again it's not even the perception so much as maybe it's easier to talk about the again the relationship between uh the person who you're communicating it to and and that reality um and because the, the energies are always going to be aligned in a different way um and you're never going to have two relationships that are exactly the same you can't it's impossible between any two things that's the beauty of being itself is that relationships are dynamic and even though they're all reliant on one another they're still uh, all unique all of them and uh, no two things can have uh, the same relationship so anyways um that, but, well, not that anyways, but that, that's perfectly, that is precisely the point of why language is so limited, or one of them, one of the many. Um, Richard Rorty, also, in his book, uh, I think it's called Contingency, Literacy, and Solidarity, I, I always confuse those. It was the first thing that um, John Crop, my... Uh, professor and one, one of my mentors in uh, uh, graduate school uh, at Hofstra in MAP, in the MAP program, Masters of Arts program. One of the first things he had me look at was, it was excuse me, was the first thing he had me look at was Richard Rorty's Contingency, Literacy, and Solidarity. And, uh, it, you know, it said a lot of things, but he pulled out one particular chapter and had me read it, and, I, and he has everybody read it, and I didn't understand exactly until we had gone over it a little more about what the actual point was, what the, and I haven't looked at it in, in a while, um, and so this is a perfect example of what I've been speaking about, is that, you know, what I'm about to say here, the interpretation here, um, is going to be different, uh, because my experience with it uh, might not, it, it's going to be be slightly different than, of course, what uh, he meant it to be, even if it's, even if it's very close to the truth or, or more or less right on, it's going to be slightly different. Uh, my understanding of it, my interpretation of it, because that's what it is, it's an interpretation, and language is the regurgitation of interpretation, you know. It's it's the the fallow and shallow attempt, shallow attempt to uh, uh, reinterpret to to replay something that that happened. It's like a play uh, on the stage of reality. So, but Rorty says uh, the the point of of this one particular chapter, to my best recall of its interpretation and and my interpretation of what it meant is that, and I thought it was a genius thing for a graduate student to first encounter in grad school. It just speaks to the genius of, of John Crop. What the point of it was, is that 
the way we speak about things determines how we think about things. The way we speak about things determines the way we think about them. And in that there is such truth and such exposure of, again, the weakness of language. Because when we talk about something in a certain way, that is our experience of it. And again, we're relating that experience, we're passing that experience on. That's what we're doing through language. We we pass it on. And we give it to to somebody else. Um, and then they give it to somebody else and so on and so forth. And you know, a single thought or idea um, can change the reality of a thing. You know, there was this something I encountered at my PhD program about how our, our I think it was Julia Kristeva who said, who wondered about whether or not words have matter. And, uh, like matter, like physical matter. Um, and my thought on that initially was that it was a really very interesting idea, and I kind of bit into it. Um, but when I explored it a little further, words don't have matter at all. I mean, you know, you can say something to me in French, you can say the most damning, you could tell me that the world is about to end, um, and that wouldn't make my blood pressure go up one iota, because the words <laughs> don't matter to me, the words have they, they mean nothing to me because of my interpretation of them. And this holds to a larger point about interpretation of what you are given, <laughs> so far as phenomenology is concerned. We'll cycle back to it, but um, it's extremely—it's an extremely important point about how it's all. It doesn't matter what is said to you. It doesn't matter what happens to you. It's your interpretation of it. So uh, we will come back to that. But if somebody. If a Frenchman says to me that the world's ending in clear, plain-spoken French, it will mean nothing to me because I don't understand French. I don't speak it. Now, somebody tells me that in English, and yeah, I'm going to react to it. So it's not so much that the words have matter. It's the ideas behind the words that have matter. And it's... And again, since the, the words, since the ideas all relate back to something phenomenologically, it's just a residual from phenomena. That's all it is. It's, it's matter. It's matter is residualization. It's, you know, you said to me that there is a meteor, you know, coming, look up, you know, and I see it, you know. Before I look up and see it, I'm going to 
feel fear, and if I look up and I do see it, well, fear is one possible possible outcome or whatever it is. Um, but, uh, um, you know, you look up, and before you, before you see it or not to confirm or deny it with your own eyes, um, you have that instance of... <laughs> of you know you can decide uh, how it how it affects you i suppose well, that goes back slightly to that that point that i want to want to circle back to but um moving on i should i say that you be when you look up and you see that meteor you know curling towards earth or what you perceive you know everything says to you that you know it's it's going to smash right into you um the spoken word about the 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 thought of it or what was said about it um is really again what struck fear into you initially but it's just it's just an abstraction of the real um but it's that real thing it's that real happening that is still doing that is still impacting you. Um, so again, it's just residuals, phenomenological residuals. Uh, it's matter, you know, transcending um, you. It's a reality that, though abstracted, is still a reality. So, yeah, <laughs> it's all, you know, there, what it really comes down to is that everything is a reality. It's just how far removed do we let it become. Because everything emanates from that singular source. Uh, everything. It's just how close to the singular source does it get. And language is about as far away from the source as a thing can be. Because you know, we have some sort of phenomenology. We have the interpretation of that phenomenology, that action within us, then we have the regurgitation, the, it filters through us, and this is all non-objectivity here, what happens objectively in the world siphons through the subject, and, uh, and then is, again, kind of transformed within the subject and ejected uh, back into objectivity, and that's where the relationship is, is formed. Um, and oftentimes that uh, ejection is uh, comes out in the form of, of language, and language is there to try and interpret, um, you know, this phenomenology. You're trying to trying to make sense of it, as I am doing right now. Um, it's 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 no different. So. Um, but again, the way that we think about a thing um, is often determined um, by how we speak of it. That's how trapped we are in language um, and in conception, is that regardless of the reality, you know, somebody can say, you know, that meteor is up there, 
and you look up and there are nothing but clouds in the sky. But somebody says that that's the case, and even if there is no actual event of a meteor hurling towards Earth, um, it's the words, it's the abstraction, it's the idea that that gets you, uh, that gets you excited. And from that, um, it's it's how we again speak about a thing um, that often determines our reality with it, not necessarily reality itself. Because again, you know, someone can tell me that a meteor is coming. And uh, even though I can't verify that, I don't know its reality, or even if I look up and see that there's a meteor hurtling this way, I don't know what it's going to do. <laughs> so, but if we speak, you know, we listen to scientists speak about it, and, um, you know, we, we observe its, its, its movements in the sky, its phenomenology, you know, um, and other people's interpretations of those movements, well, then, you know, we have, uh, we then have an idea that, again, usurps, takes the place of uh, the reality. So even if there is no meteor in the sky, um, or, or if there is, you know, the, the scientists' predictions about it could be completely off-base. You know, and how many times has that happened? Uh, especially in this sort of modern age, like, oh, don't worry, that drug's fine for you, you know, no problem, cigarettes are, aren't that bad for you, you know. No, it's the thing is that we don't know, as it were. We're unsure. But the way that we speak about them... <laughs> oftentimes determines our relationship to them. That is, it determines our reality, or what we think of as a reality about, you know, this certain thing. Um, which is very, very dangerous. Um, unless, of course, we speak about a reality in a way that... Um, in a way that is real, that is, that is actual and that is communicable and that is immediately understand, uh, is interpretable and is understandable to the person that we're trying to communicate. Um, but again, as I said before, this can never fully happen. Um, because we're always going to be in that realm when we're dealing with language and language alone. Um, we're always going to be in that realm of abstraction. We're always going to exist in that place of... Uh, that's left open to interpretation, that, that isn't quite um, with the reality, no, no matter how close it comes to describing it. So, um, what we have to be aware of is that these thoughts that we have are extremely important.
um, and so are the words that we use, because they do hold power, even though um, they are extremely uh, weak. Um, they still hold a power, you know, I mean, there is no absence of heat, uh, or there's no cold, only an absence of heat. Kind of, It's kind of the same thing, is that even though this language is a very weak, very vulnerable target, it still holds uh, a very strong, it plays a very strong part of conception. So, how do we, how do we take down conception? How do we go from being conceptual to getting rid of uh, that conception uh, through language? Um, it's very difficult to do. Uh, but, again, just breaking down conception or the uh, the weaknesses just identifying the weaknesses uh, in the structures of language um, is a is a very good start towards cracking um, the structures set put in motion um, by uh, conception to see how it doesn't necessarily stand up um, when we really begin to pick it apart, uh, that's, it's a good start that we just identify with it. Um, again, it's, it's a good start. It's not, uh, it's, it's not because language is so weak and everybody's aware of its weaknesses. Um, you know, you can play a language game you can have a debate. I mean, this happens all the time. I'm sure this happens, you know, ten times, a thousand times a day. You know, there's there's two debate teams, and uh, one debate team takes a position that's completely absurd, and they win, <laughs> just because they have better debate skills, because they have better language skills. So, um... We have to align ourselves with reality before we can really begin. It's kind of a catch-22 because while language is one of the first places we need to attack, um, it won't be a battle fully won, uh, just like all the others, until, until all the others uh, have been fought and, and won. So... Like, because, well, because, so, so just like any of its cohorts, any of its other enemies or targets, to have true perspective means that communication is crystal clear. That's what perspective is, right? Is that, is that, you and whatever it is communicate perfectly with one. You understand one another perfectly, or at least you understand it. And then if you have 
insight or whatever you want to call it, then you can communicate that understanding. That's perspective or insight or whatever you want to call it. So to have true mastery over the language means you have that insight, you have that understanding, you have that perception. Um, however, it's, you know, so far as taking down language um, in a warlike way, it's difficult uh, to do until, again, you've conquered all these other elements. Now you can strike uh, force into it, you can, you can damage it, and through that damage, um, other openings then begin to, uh, to come. But, again, it won't be truly defeated until you have the perspective, until you can use it as, see, it's problem, I was going to say, is you can use it as a tool of clarity, but its problem is, is that it is always going to be a tool. Always. Um, because... You know, Curse Minority loves to say this, the word is not the thing. That's, you know, he goes there all the time with that. Um, and it's not. But we often treat it as though it were. Um, somebody says something about, um, you know, a probability. Well, you know, the ads, the, you know, we've run some numbers and the probability that this is going to happen is, you know, Great. Angelina Jolie, she had a double mastectomy, even though she had no cancer. But her family had a history of cancer. She had, you know, a double mastectomy. <laughs> um, which to me is absurd <laughs> for so many reasons. But um, mostly, I mean, putting my male uh, hormones aside, mostly... Um, it's absurd because, A, it exhibits a complete lack of faith. Um, or, you know, it's, people are saying how strong she is for having done this. Well, no. You know, <laughs> strong would be, you know, fighting it and winning. Um, uh, I suppose. But, or, or even stronger still, you know, having the faith and hope that whatever you're, you're given, you can, you can defeat. Um, which is clearly not what, not what, you know, she was thinking. She was thinking that she was going to be, you know, up the creek without a paddle, without this operation. So, she goes and, and gets it done. Um, which, again, to me, is rather absurd. So, um, but... You know, somebody had to say to her that, you know, there are some probabilities and some, you know, and, and, and that's something, that's a danger that can't be, that wouldn't be present unless there was language. And that's one of the dangers of language is that you start to extract things from reality. You say, okay, Angelina, you know, you, your, your family has a history of breast cancer. Um, we're extracting that reality and make, putting it kind of in the, 
this metaphysical space of language and we're making this uh, potential reality for you. Um, you know, what are you going to do with it? So it, then it creates this anxiety that doesn't even exist, the situation that doesn't even exist yet. Um, and it cre that creates a panic and a fear. And all of these things are, again, work in concert with... Uh, with all the other objectives and all the other enemies. Um, and it becomes something greater than the reality, just like, you know, the example of the meteor. It, you know, the prospect, the person saying that there is one coming um, and it's going to destroy Earth. I mean, nobody knows even if there is one coming. Even if you can see it in the sky for yourself. But again, this also goes back to how we process information. Um, and we've been taught to process information a certain way, based on our experience. Um, and this kind of leads me back to that very important point that I had spoken of earlier about what we do with that information that we've been that we've been given um, that all sort of ties together and again you know you, you can't defeat language itself on its own without going into all these other conceptual uh, uh, battles um, but language is such an abstraction that it can create circumstances that simply don't exist um, in reality and that's where you know conception really starts to take hold as we we get an idea um, and we, we base ideas off of an interpretation of something that isn't real and that's where you get in big trouble with language and, and conception is that you begin to stir things that aren't that aren't there and it, it's it's a true true danger because it leads us because we're creating again our own space our own subjective space and ejecting that out into what we think of as you know back into a reality but and so we interpret that objectivity through what we've what we have processed but when when we have processed something that is false completely false and then we've processed it and ejected it out back into objectivity, back into, you know, this realm of the real. Well, then, then we get ourselves in big time trouble and we, we become extremely removed um, from actuality, from truth, uh, from what it is that we're trying to interpret and understand. And most importantly, from ourselves. Think about how you think.
how you think is really my my dad once did when I was a little kid a little kind of thought experiment with me. He said that that this is almost like a Zen koan, and for a little kid, you know, at the time, it blew my mind, and it still blows my mind today. But he said, "Think," <laughs> and he always had a funny, funny one to go along with his little experiments. He said, "Think about the words." How now, brown cow? I said, okay, I think about the words how now, brown cow. And I, I think them, and I would think them, I would think those specific words. How now, brown cow. And I said, okay. Now, think about just a, he said, what's the, you know, the subject there? And how now is just a, you know, kind of a silly, you know, fun asking. But he said, think about the words brown cow. Okay, think about the words brown cow. He said, now think of a brown cow. And I said, okay. And he said, you can think a, about what a brown cow is infinitely faster than you can say the words brown cow. And yet, the point is that they're both the same thing, except one, you're bounded to the words, brown cow. And the other, it's just a thought, which is actually detached from the words, they're, they're detached from the words themselves, they're detached from the words. The thought is not the word. But think about how you think. <laughs> do you think using language? Most of us do. But as we just saw, the language, you know, language is, it's an abstraction. It's something that's not real. And it's something that takes a long time to process also. However, when you just think, when you have pure thinking, there's no time. There's no process. There's just fucking thought. That's all. Pure, energetic, synergetic thought. That's all. When I stumble, you know, trying to communicate in these dictations... You know, I often think about how how am I going to connect this sentence to the next. But when I'm really flowing, when I'm really in free thought, there is no thinking. There is no thinking about that. I, there's no language. Even though language is what comes out, there's no use of language in the thought itself, if that makes any sense. Um... And again, it might not because of the conceptual nature of language and thinking. So it might be very difficult to you know, get one's head around that pure thinking requires no, has no language requirements.
it has no true boundaries set up by those words that we use. You know, see how, see the cycle. We have the thing we're trying to understand or trying to, it, and again, it's all a relationship. It's all relations. We're interpreting the relationship and we take it in and it's just a, it's just an experience, it's just a happening, it's just a relation. Totally independent of language or experience or anything like that. Or a, 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 the experience of whatever it is. Um, it's the experience of what we... Uh, moving on. Uh, the experience of... In the way that we framed experiences, something that's weak. But that's off topic. So think about the cycle. It is something that we, you know, it happens to us, we process it by thinking of it. We think of it, and then we use words to try and communicate it, and to try and understand it at the same time. Even though the words aren't the thing, the thing now are not the words. Now it's changed. Now the thing itself is not, are not the words. But we try and make them the words so we can understand it coming in and going out. Language becomes dangerous, even more dangerous than we've already highlighted here when we use it to think. When there's pure thinking involved, there is no language. Um, and yet language is what comes out because language is the tool, the medium by which we are all communicating. And you can talk for an infinite amount of time if you let clearly, crystally clear and communicate and continue to elevate the conversation if you forget the words, if you forget the language, if you forget yourself in relation to those things, because those things are just symbols. That's all they are. It's, it's a symbol of the happening. It's not the actual reality. And this being the case, we get caught up in the conception, in the abstraction, and we don't let the reality take its place. We don't let, excuse me, we don't let, yeah, well, we don't let the reality take, take hold within us. We don't let it flow within us because we're so attached to the abstraction. We're so attached to the idea. We're so attached to the notion, to the words, to the language. It all comes down to that. That we, we rely too heavily on the language. And we don't just be. We're always in concert with what is. Always. But language is one of the first and, la the first and last place we go. It's, it's often the bookends of our interpretations of how we inject and eject experience. Because it's how we think. We use language 
to think. And that's not always productive. I mean, you know, some people would say, well, how else are you going to think? Well, it's that kind of sentiment um, that perpetuates this war. <laughs> because the experience, again, is so different than the language, than the, the way it is spoken about. But we don't know, and it's an innocent question. How else are you going to think? It's an innocent question um, posed by thinkers. Uh, but yet, here's another problem. So we love to think. <laughs> Nobody likes to just be. We love to think. We got to think about stuff. Um, and I know this is ironic coming from a person who um, has spoken for something like an hour straight now, non-stop, <laughs> about fucking language. But still, we love, as human beings, to, to think. And I uh, kind of put up proffer this idea about and I use idea loosely here about whether or not it is uh, to our greatest benefit to actually think in the way that we are used to doing it um, thinking the way that we're, we've been trained to go at it, again, is, is limiting in and of itself because we haven't been taught how to do it properly. We're not very good at it, to be honest with you. We like to think we're very good at it. But again, but thinking is an abstraction in itself. So, there's truly something that goes on beyond uh, the reality, our thoughts about a thing. The reality is, is not the thought <laughs> in this particular case, because we're just, we're not, because we're subjects, we're subjective. And we have subjective experience. That's, that's what we have to go on. And we have to remember that that is always limited. And what it produces is limited. And again, what's, what's its, one of its main exports is language. Which is why it's so vulnerable. Which is why there is such error in our understanding is because we think of language as the panultimate and the final determinant but actually being is the final determinant is the only determinant is the first the final and the only determinant but it's our relation to being that gets jumbled up and misinterpreted and and then we 
have a lack of understanding um, about what is. And we use language often to try and cover ourselves uh, because we want to be right, you know. We want to have a proper understanding of what it is. Um, because nobody wants to be wrong. Nobody wants to be outside of, uh, of the box so far as uh, correctly you know, being with something or, or interpreting or uh, living with something. I mean, you know, it's the, sort of the story, the story of Chicken Little. Is that, you know, Chicken Little is told that the, the sky is falling and she believes it and runs around, you know, saying that the sky is falling and uh, she finds out that she's wrong and she's embarrassed and even though all her actions, just like with the example of the meteor or how we interpret phenomenology is, uh, or, or abstract ideas and how they can affect us, nobody wants to, to be wrong. But uh, yet another dang danger of language is that um, if we begin to get the notion that we are wrong, <laughs> then oftentimes our egos will kick in and try to defend, through, lang through language, try to defend uh, our position um, and devise further and further abstractions um, that are unhealthy and apart from uh, the reality. And again, it becomes another difficult, uh, difficult, Excuse me. Difficulty in our in our uh, path towards towards understanding, and the path towards understanding you know, this pure thinking without language um, is the way that we rid ourselves of language. Um, we rid ourselves of language uh, through implementing language um, through showing how limited it is and using it very carefully. You know, some of us are so gregarious uh, and so careless, uh, but it's okay to be, I mean, I talk more than probably 95% of people on this planet, maybe more. However, Maybe I should listen to this, you know. Most of, most of all, or um, more than 95% of people out there. Um, we have to be careful with our language. It is a very valuable tool, and it's something that, um, again, though imperfect and uh, relatively powerless in terms of all these other conceptual enemies that... Uh, we've targeted here um, it is still very powerful. It's, uh, you know, the, the, the pocket knife can still open a man's throat. So, what we, what we say is, is important. Not just because it impacts the way 
we think about things. Um, but because it, it is a tool, it's a gift that we have. It's something that shouldn't be taken lightly, shouldn't be just tossed about um, as if it were some kind of, of right. You know, we always talk about freedom of speech. Well, yeah, I like freedom of idea better, I think, because you can't really say whatever you want and not incur some blowback. You can go ahead and protest that you know minorities have certain rights in this country, and I would expect them to respond in some way, um, as they rightfully should, probably, depending on the situation. But the truth of of uh, what we're trying to communicate should always be at the center of um, our minds when we are communicating, when we are using language. Uh, we're trying always to get towards something, right? I mean, we're always in some kind of intent. We always have some sort of intentionality. Uh, we communicate with intent. All communication is based on intent. That's a whole different area, is what is intent. Um, communication is intention. So when we say something, we have a motive behind it, always, no matter what we say. I'm saying this right now because my motivation is to be able to extract from this um, and put it into writing, into a philosophical war, and have the, the audio dictation, uh, you know, for, for a long time, you know, for here on out. Um, so, what, everything we do has intention. Everything we say, uh, everything we communicate um, is done so with, with intent, with intention, with motive, with the want to garner something. Um, even if that garnering is just the conversation itself, it, it's always, we're always seeking a relationship, seeking a, a happening. Every time we talk. That's what we do. We're seeking a happening. Uh, whether that happening entails or has at the end of it some kind of understanding or not, that is going to be, um, you know, particular to that particular happening. Um, but everything is, has intention. Everything has intention behind it. Everything that is has an intent. Everything is trying to, I don't want to say gain anything, uh, but maybe, I gain, not in a selfish way though, gain something 
be a part of something. To, 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 to again, it's to have a relationship with something. Everything wants to, seeks relation with everything else. That's why this whole will to power thing is so ridiculous. You know, you will your power over everything, you're going to die. Because <laughs> you're going to have nothing left to have reciprocation with. So, um, you know, there always has to be a balance. And there is always, uh, um, behind everything that is said, behind everything that is communicated, intention. And that might be a slightly different path. Um, to take up on, a, on another time, but it's also extremely relative to language. Because in language, intent is flushed out um, and deciphered and, and uh, uh, utilized. So, um, with language, we, we have, again, this wonderful tool that we need to be stewards of. And we need to see, however, that there's something magical about it because even though it is so conceptual, it is also very useful. Um, and it's, it is a tool in gaining relation, as are all of these things in a philosophical war, if they're understood correctly, all the enemies um, maybe shouldn't be considered enemies to be conquered, um, but potential allies to be turned. Because if implemented in the proper way, there's really nothing wrong with them. It's just that they've all been corrupted and all been poisoned with conception, with abstraction. And language is the easiest place to see where that step, how that step is, is taken. It's the easiest way to see that It's so apparent that it's a mirage. And that's where everything begins to break down. Is at the start. Is <laughs> that conception itself breaks down at the very start because what conception is is usually passed on through language. That is language is the is the carrier. It, it, they are the roads of by by me by the ways in which um, you know, these philo these philosophical enemies travel, and it brings us out of ourselves, out of reality, um, and. We need, again, to go back to that space of purity, of perfect interaction where there is no barrier. And that's, again, what language is. It's a barrier. So we need to, 
to go back if we want to experience truth we need to go back and experience it devoid of language devoid of what we can say about it um, or think about it through language because again language is so pervasive that it, it is even uh, that's that's the litmus test that's the barometer it's so pervasive even though it's an abstraction and everybody's aware of it that it's an abstraction that simply by changing the way we talk about something can change the way we think about it can change our experience about it this happens all the time you know it wasn't maybe until people began to talk about minorities in this country um, as being equal that that that's how people began to see them or what's more is that <laughs> people never thought of minorities as minorities until we began to speak about them in that way if you don't label something if you don't label something as color green black white whatever it just is it just is that color but as soon as you give it a name it takes on this different reality it takes on something other than what it is and you know for this example of you know minorities having equal rights you know centuries ago or starting to um, I, I very much doubt that they were originally perceived as being anything but equal until you know some sort of experience happened which led people to speak a certain way about them and that implanted ideas about how these people acted and what they were and then from those ideas we created our own reality and again that's where the danger is is when we create something that is apart from the way the way that things are the way that things should be that should be the way that things are so we need to acknowledge that while language has its utility its potential is not being is usually not being utilized because our subjective intentions often get in the way of that utilization and when that happens we create our own realities um, and creating our own realities leads to difficulties also always um, 
because again we're going against the way we're going against the way of any given thing the way of how things are what is so um, we need to be very conscious when speaking and yet at the same time forget ourselves forget that there is an entity that has to utilize words because then we have pure thought see it's a, a trick that conception plays on us we have this we have this thought about who we are ourselves and then from that thought we we take you know we have this idea about what we are and it's an idea that might not be true but it's <laughs> it's what's been given to us through interpretations through language and that's again language is an interpretation it's not the real so we are obstructed by the purity of what we really are and what we're really able to do and that is to think purely without the limits of language and yet you and yet at the same time utilize language to bring us back to that reality because it's it's one of the only weapons we really have in a war to end war you have to use the weapons of war and our weapons as dictated uh, to us start with and end with language.